this is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching here at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, and for anyone looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 to 14. It's the basis of the sermon here at First Free Methodist Church on July 16, 2023. It's the third message in our new series called The Worth of Worship. This is a series where we're explaining the value, the meaning, the power and experience of worship together as community and in our individual lives. I'd like to read the text for us beginning at Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. And this is from the 2020 revision of the New American Standard Bible. This is uh, the Apostle John speaking as he writes. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who was sitting on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to break open its seals for you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them into a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voices of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And I heard every created thing which is in heaven or on the earth or under the earth or on the sea and all the things in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be the blessing, the honor, the glory, and the dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures were saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the conclusion of the descriptions that John offers to us in his vision of the heavenly throne room. And it's a, a space that is image rich. And this vision in chapter four and chapter five functions as a prelude for the unfolding events that begin in Revelation chapter six. And these events are the opening of this scroll with seven seals on it, the sounding of seven trumpets, and the pouring out of seven bowls of wrath. But before we get to any of those in chapter six, we complete this picture of the drama that uh, happens within this vision that John is experiencing. So we turn our attention to verses six and seven. Let's just pause for a moment to focus on the throne, the lamb, and the scroll. We have to return to the image that we first heard about in Revelation chapter four that I spoke of in last week's podcast, that there's a 
a throne in this vision that John is having, and there is someone seated on it, but that person is yet unnamed. It's somewhat of an enigma in John's description in Revelation 4 and 5 of the one on the throne. Now, there's a, a, a gathering of concentric circles. In other words, one circle nested inside another around this throne. And so immediately around the throne are four living creatures, and around them are 24 elders, and we're going to learn around them are even more. Now, between the four living creatures that stood in proximity to the throne and the elders that were uh, encircling the four living creatures, the text tells us that there's a lamb that appears. Now, the word that's used for lamb in this text is unusual. And the reason it's unusual is because it is not a full-grown lamb. It's not a sheep, if you will. It is a young lamb. And the lamb is central to this book. Uh, in Latin, we often use this terminology in the life of the church, the Agnus Dei. It's the Latin form of the Lamb of God. It occurs over 20 times in the book of Revelation, this reference to the Lamb. Now, the image is central, of course, within the Jewish community as part of the Passover, in which uh, uh, Pascha is observed within the, the Jewish rite around Passover, and from which we understand Easter. Easter is um, the kind of the Christian expression of Passover, believing that rather than sacrificing a lamb as the Jewish community would during Passover, we believe that Jesus himself is that lamb that has been sacrificed. The lamb is standing in this vision as if slaughtered. Now, this is kind of graphic language, but it's important we learn how to hold on to this just a little bit. It, it's the lamb is not dead, but is slaughtered. So how can it be slaughtered and not dead? Well, this is the paradox of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So it begins to become much clearer who this lamb is, that this lamb that's standing there as if slaughtered really represents Jesus himself. John then says that this lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. And so the horns are are always represented in the Bible usually as a symbol of power. And of course it has to do with uh, like uh, the horns on, a, on a, a buck or a stagger of some kind where there's this way in which power is made manifest by the number of horns an animal might have on it. And so it's no different in these symbols. Horn means power in these contexts. And then it says that this lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. In other words, its vision is encompassing Again, the numerology in Revelation is important. The number seven is critical. The number seven symbolizes or often speaks of completion or perfection. It's the number of churches addressed in this vision that we know from Revelation chapter one. Uh, within the Jewish community, the number seven is particularly important for it's the seven days of creation. All of these things are important. Now, the lamb, it says, comes forward and takes the scroll from the one sitting on the throne. I want you to notice the difference here from chapter 4. That of everyone around this throne, everyone who's encircling it, all of them bow down and worship the one on the throne. There's only one exception to that in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, and it's the lamb. The lamb does not bow down and worship the one on the throne. 
And the scroll that's spoken of here is the first appearance of that scroll. And it really is the unfolding of the vision that John has for these seven churches in Asia Minor. And there are seven seals to this scroll. And the way Revelation is structured, as I mentioned last week, is that there's events that happen with the first six seals, but when the seventh seal is broken, nothing happens. And so it's believed that the seventh seal is actually made up of what comes next, seven trumpets. Same thing with the trumpets. When the seventh trumpet is blown, nothing happens. And so then there are seven bowls of wrath. So that the actual content of the seventh trumpet are the seven bowls. So imagine it is like a branched structure of a seven, uh, seven uh, seals with the seventh one being seven trumpets. Then there are seven trumpets and the seventh trumpet is actually the seven bowls. It's important to note here that when the lamb takes the scroll, the lamb takes the scroll with the right hand. This is important imagery because when the Caesar or the Roman emperor would have official word or order given from them, they would hand it to their aid with the right hand. And so what John is trying to do in the vision and what he's conveying about what he's seeing is that this is a, a confrontation or in other words, a, a comparison with Roman authority. All along, the one on the throne had the scroll in their hand. It's just never been said that the one had their scroll in their hand. Now, only the lamb is the only one worthy to take it and to open it. And this opens up a key passageway for us. Center the role and relationship of the Trinity. We see here a vision of the inner working of the Trinity. And, and of course, it's all an imaged form of revelation. We see here mutual submission, that the lamb, Jesus, is the living expression of the divine. So the lamb goes to the one on the throne and takes the scroll to open it. But the lamb doesn't bow to the one on the throne. So that the, the lamb is doing that which the one on the throne needs done, but not doing it in a way that implies uh, being lesser. This is about mutual submission, that the lamb, Jesus, is the living expression of the divine and, and reflects exactly what the one on the throne seeks to do. And the spirit is the, the tr person of the Trinity at work within the community. The spirit is the one that's revealing this very message to John. So as John is having this experience, he's having an experience of the Trinity, the one on the throne being God, then Jesus as the lamb, and then the spirit is the one unfolding the vision itself. This heavenly drama should not be underestimated because it reveals something of God's character, love, sacrifice, holiness. These things are valued above all things. We now then turn to the response to this great event of this lamb, Jesus, coming forward to take the scroll from the hand of the one on the throne. And it says in uh, these verses, uh, verses 8 nine and 10, what the response is when that lamb comes forward and takes the scroll from the right hand of the one on the throne. Now the four living creatures that we described in Revelation chapter four gathered immediately around the throne and the 24 elders are gathered around them. Both the four living creatures and the 24 elders fall down before the lamb. Notice the language here. They don't fall down before the one on the throne. They fall down before the lamb. And it says that they're all holding a harp and bowls of incense. 
These symbols are significant. The harp is an instrument of praise. It is the music of praise and of worship of God in this context. And these bowls of incense symbolize in everywhere the offering of prayers. It, it, both of these images of the harp and the bowls recall some rich imagery from temple worship within Judaism when the Jews would worship in the temple in Jerusalem. This rich imagery of harp and bowls helps us understand that, that what they were doing, what the 24 elders and the four living creatures were involved in doing, they were involved in praising the harp and praying the bowls. And it says here that they sang a new song. Uh, whenever we read the Jewish scripture, the Old Testament, and it talks about a new song, that new song is a song of the Messianic age. Uh, probably the most well-known is in Psalm 40. I will sing unto the Lord a new song. Over six times this idea of a new song occurs within the book of Psalms. And in every context, it has to do with what the Jews would expected of the Messianic age. The very first word out of the mouths of them all, the four living creatures and the 24 elders in this new song is worthy. This word worthy is going to be important. We're going to see it a number of different times, not only in this text, but in other places of the book. Worthiness is critical because remember what Revelation is trying to do is contrast the, the capacity and power of God as the one true leader versus Caesar, who is an imposter or the Antichrist. One of them is worthy one of them is not worthy. So it's important you know the, the Greek word for worthiness because it's used so many times in this text. It's axios. Axios, this word for worthiness, is the acclaim that's given to Jesus that he can take the scroll and break its seals. And what's interesting in this verse is they explain why he's worthy. It, it says in verse 9, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals for... And now it's going to tell us why the lamb is worthy to break the seals. The first thing, it says that you were slaughtered. In other words, that's the sacrificial death of the cross. You purchased a people. In other words, that purchase came with a price. And it's regard, it engaged a, a, a very selfless act in order to purchase a people. With your blood, it says, this is the atonement theology or covenant theology we find throughout Scripture of how God works with human beings. And Jesus indicated as well when he gathered for the Last Supper with his disciples, he talked about this new covenant that he was making with them. And also worthy is because every tribe, language, and people and nation will be gathered together, if you will. They're, they're all going to, it's, it's, a, it's a large community that has been purchased, if you will, with the blood of the Lamb. And then it talks about what that group of people is now going to be made into. That there was a slaughter, there's people purchased by, and blood was really the currency. People from every tribe, language, people, and nation, and made them into a kingdom. This is the new identity. It says in verse number 10, you have made them to be into kingdom, made them into a kingdom and priest to our God. They will be a kingdom, that's the new identity. And in some ways, when we read Revelation, we have to understand this is a new Israel and priest to God. In other words, they'll be engaged in this mediating work that we've talked about before. It's in Revelation chapter 1 about a people being a priest to God. 
and then finally that they will reign upon the earth. So this is looking forward to an age and a time and a moment when the community of people that have been purchased will rule or reign upon the earth. This language may be odd to us, but remember, Revelation is written to confront kind of the Roman imperial cult. And so any ways in which the text talks about people ruling other than Caesar, we're dealing with kind of an anti-Roman or a treasonous sort of text that's trying to lift up uh, who Jesus is. Only the lamb is worthy. And that opens up a key passageway for us, that the lamb of God is the real ruler of the universe. You know, the paradox is powerful. Kings are not those who rule the world. Caesars are not the ones who rule the world. It's this young lamb who has been slaughtered who rules all things. So what we must remember is that we follow a weak and wounded savior. It's through these marks of weakness and being wounded that the lamb attains and wields power. Remember, the four living creatures and the 24 elders all say, Oxios, worthy. It's through weakness and through this woundedness that the lamb attains power. It's a warning in many ways to all those who seek influence and seek power. Flexing power is vanity. And this is the image Jesus tells us about, how the first shall be last. The one that is the weakest, the most wounded, the one that has the least apparent capacity ends up being first. These are the things that make Jesus worthy. To be worthy, define the word oxios, means to pass the test, that only Jesus has passed the test of being worthy enough. We now turn to the next two verses, verses 11 and 12, where it talks about the song of the multitude of angels. Now, the vision that we've had so far is that there's a throne, there's four living creatures around that throne and 24 elders around those four living creatures. But now the vision begins to expand and begins to grow. In this expanded vision, it's not just the throne, it's not just the lamb, it's not just the creatures and not just the elders. It talks about in verse 11, how John heard the voices of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. It literally says in Greek that it's 10,000 by 10,000, 10,000 times 10,000. And in the Greek language, this is the way you would express the largest number they could. So there's a way in which we know in English that we can name some pretty big numbers, you know, billions, trillions. This is the way they would be able to name the largest number they could think of. This is almost an infinite number of angels that are gathered around. And they say the same thing. Worthy, oxios. Oxios is the lamb who was slaughtered. So now we know exactly who we're talking about. The sacrifice is not forgotten, but look at what the lamb is worthy to receive. Power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. Take note of how many items are in that list. If you said seven, you're correct. This has a lot of notes to it of imperial Roman Caesar worship. A lot of the 
the accolades that were publicly given to the Caesar, especially Caesar Domitian, were a lot of these words that power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing belong to him. This story is rich in Jewish imagery in a defiant Roman context. This opens up yet another key passageway for us. The God of Revelation is worthy of absolute allegiance. Note the attributes, those seven things that were listed. How are we rendering those things to Jesus? Are we doing the same as the heavenly host? Are we offering Jesus all power, all wealth, all wisdom, all might, all honor, all glory? Are we bringing all of those things to Jesus? So we have to take note that our lives must more and more resemble this scene. Do we offer all things described here? as a way of honoring Jesus above all others. And now we turn to the closing verses of chapter 5. The song of praise to God and to the Lamb grows even larger. We have talked about these concentric circles with a throne in the center, and then there's these 24 elders, and then there's the Lamb, and then there are are the, the four living creatures, pardon me, then the lamb, then the 24 elders seated on their thrones. And they're surrounded by tens, thousands, by ten thousands of angels. And yet still even around those angels, there's a vision that encompasses even greater acclaim. It says that John heard in his vision every created thing in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and in everything. This is a very formulaic rendering. The Apostle Paul uses this same rendering or this same song of praise in Philippians chapter 2 when he says that every knee will bow, that is on the earth, over the earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So there, this is a common song or hymn that moved around the earliest days of the church. It's used by Paul in Philippians 2. It's used here by John as he receives and hears this vision of what's happening in heaven. And it says something very important. It says that there is nothing in creation that's excluded. Take note, the description here of in heaven, on earth, under the earth, there's nothing left out here. And the one on the throne and the lamb. Now, in this case, we know that the one on the throne represents the father the lamb represents the son, Jesus. And remember, John is in the spirit when he sees this. So the spirit is present with him as he's having this vision. Everything that has been created, they, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, here's what they say. Be the blessing, the honor, the glory, and dominion forever. This is an exact copy of the way in which Emperor Vespasian wanted to be addressed. So the ways in which the Roman imperial cult gets into all of this in Revelation is powerful. So all of this language that happens in this vision that's ascribed to God and to the Lamb is language that had been ascribed to the Caesar. 
So now we begin to see even more clearly that this letter that John is delivering to the seven churches of Asia Minor, where he's describing this vision he's had from God, is a treasonous one in the Roman world. It is anti-imperial, it is anti-Caesar, it is anti-Roman. The images and the language use Jewish groundings. In other words, they all kind of emerge out of a Jewish context, but they're expressed in a Roman experience or Roman culture. So without this Jewish context, it makes little sense. In other words, if, if we don't have an understanding of the Jewish scripture and the places from which this vivid text in Revelation comes from, it, we, will, we will make a wreck out of interpreting it. We need to understand our Jewish scripture in order for this text to make any sense to us. But this Judaism or this Jewish understanding of all of these images and symbols, it's like a decoder ring, if you will. It's the way in which we decode what the book is saying. But it's addressed and pointed to Roman Empire. It's designed to confront that reality. Revelation goes to lengths to implicate Caesar. In this case, Caesar Domitian as an evil imposter, an antichrist of Jesus. And so after this great song of praise, blessing, honor, glory, and dominion, the text concludes with the four living creatures who bow down and say, Amen. The word Amen, we use it at the end of prayers all the time, literally means so be it. The elders fall down in worship. So it's an appropriate ending to this chapter. After all of these songs of praise, after all the acclaim of axios to the Lamb, the scene ends with Amen. So be it. That opens up a final key passageway for us, is that only God is worthy of acclaim and worship. Revelation makes clear that what Caesar wanted was nothing less than to be God. It also makes it clear in this text that there is only one God who sees and knows all things. So we must be aware that the temptation to conflate religion and state are dangerous. This is why movements of our own day, like Christian nationalism, are dangerous. That they co-opt the power of God for political ends. We do not order this universe to God. God is the one who does this. Revelation is a book that is ripe with applications for the world we live in today in 2023. If you have comments or reflections, I'd love to hear from you. Please visit my website, revcraig.com. Click on news in the upper right-hand corner, and then the drop-down menu, you'll see podcasts. Click on that, and then you can click on the specific episode and leave a comment. I also invite you to visit our church's website, ffmc.org, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.